Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. The lead story on the Bloomberg machine today is stocks drop, bonds up, as nerves fray. At least there's good news on the credit page, which opens with triple C's outperform. There, all is well. All right, let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, big bank earnings. All the attention was directed at expense growth, which ignores a remarkable development that is far more important to creditors. Two, recession risk. It's back on our radar, and history tells us it needs to be on yours as well. Three, the energy transition. Spiking oil prices are one sign that this is not likely to be a smooth one. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Big banks reported Q4 earnings this week, and all of the focus was on higher-than-expected expense growth. It's an easy story to grab, and it ties neatly into the inflation hysteria that has gripped markets. So it comes as no surprise that it is the dominant narrative, especially when bank stocks sold off. But as risk factors go, the expense line is relatively inconsequential. At the big banks, expenses are, to some degree, revenue-dependent, especially at banks with large investment banking franchises. And yes, we would expect expense growth to bounce a bit off the low single-digit average over the past 10 years due to more and more IT investments moving from nice-to-have to to must-have, as well as upward pressure on factor inputs including wages. But remember, the banks are not defenseless here. They too have the ability to raise prices, and we believe they will where they can. And to be clear, expenses are rising in part because bank profitability is at or near cyclical highs. If there is a war for talent, it's because revenue opportunities are robust. And to the extent some of that IT or other investments are discretionary, why not pull those expenses into what was known to be a highly profitable year, 2021? So to summarize our thoughts here, what's happening on the expense line is just not all that important to creditors. What really matters to investors is a storyline that is getting very little attention, And that is what is going on with loan losses. The provision for loan losses is the line item that is highly cyclical and ultimately drives bank valuations. And this line item continues to be remarkably benign. In the latest quarter, the large domestically oriented banks, specifically J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo, all continue to run off what their credit departments have determined to be excess loan loss reserves. These reserves were built dramatically in 2020, driven by unknowns related to the pandemic and an accounting change. We now know that the fiscal relief and monetary easing did what they were supposed to do, stave off consumer and commercial bankruptcies to a spectacular degree. Across the bank's entire loan portfolios, actual loan losses, net charge-offs, remained cyclically low through 2021 accounting for well under 10% of the bank's pre-tax, pre-loan loss provision income. And the continuing loan loss reserve releases strongly suggest that those credit departments are not seeing the risk of loan loss pick up meaningfully anytime soon. When asked about the credit card losses, by the way, a great barometer of the health of the consumer, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon noted that the loss rate in that portfolio is so low, 1.28%, that it's, quote, a number that you've never seen in our lives, unquote. 
The same trend is happening in residential mortgages and middle market commercial lending as well. But he also pointed out that this is unsustainable. It will normalize over time. And as listeners of the podcast know, we implore investors to bear in mind what normal is and what the path back to normal looks like. All right, on to our second thing, recession threat. We talked a lot about recession at the outset of the pandemic, and for good reason. A synchronized global freezing of the economy in order to deal with a public health threat we had only read about in the history books. Sure enough, we got that recession, which ended up being the sharpest and shortest on record, courtesy of remarkably bold fiscal and monetary policy actions led by the United States. Now, once it became clear we could flatten the curves and develop effective workarounds to threats affecting our everyday lives, the recovery was on, and the economic banter eventually shifted to whether or not we overstimulated. Now it's all about slowing the economy so we can bring inflation back under control. Enter the Fed. Persistent inflation, the worst in 40 years, has pushed the Fed into the beginning of a tightening cycle at a particularly precarious time. Yes, inflation must be brought under control, as it is a particularly insidious sentiment killer. Take a look at consumer and small business surveys. It serves as a tax on consumers and businesses alike. But be careful what you wish for. Misjudge the timing and amount of the medicine, and you make the patient sicker. Recession. In fact, by our count, 10 of the previous 15 tightening cycles dating back to the 1950s ended up in recession so it is time to watch those recession probabilities again. And while this set of circumstances stands out as being decidedly different than your run-of-the-mill downturn, given this cycle's particulars, a scenario that could trigger a recession is not difficult to imagine. Try this on for size. Significant inflation caused by supply-side bottlenecks prompts the Fed to tighten. Meanwhile, capitalism channels resources to those bottlenecks opening up supply chains and allowing factories to rebuild depleted inventories quickly and with abandon. At the same time, growth is decelerating in the economy as the benefits of stimulus and easy money finally wear off. All of a sudden, supply exceeds demand, prices fall, and we enter recession. Timing for this scenario? Second half of 2022 into 2023. Other factors out there that could increase the likelihood of recession include a spike in the price of energy, which we may very well be in the midst of, and a shock to global growth, possibly from geopolitical upheaval, such as China's zero-COVID policy combined with its common prosperity policy reset, and or Russia-Ukraine. The Bloomberg consensus one-year recession probability currently stands at 15%, with some notable outliers, including Bloomberg Economics and SMBC Nico at 30%, and Wells Fargo and NordLB at 25%. The Wall Street Journal economic survey compiled this month stands at 18%. The New York Fed, using its slope-of-the-yield curve methodology, is more sanguine at 8%. The point is, few were thinking about recession anytime soon a year ago, and there clearly remains a divergence of opinion on the topic. But a lot has happened since then. You need to get the R word back on your radars. All right, on to our third thing, the risk of a bumpy energy transition. Call it the cost of ESG. 
We came upon a chart this week from JP Morgan Asset Management that it compares the level of investment expected in 2002 in certain industries versus the average of the past 10 years. Oil and gas producers are expected to fall more than 40%. So it should come as no surprise that oil futures are at the highest level since 2014. Underinvestment in fossil fuels is becoming a very real economic consequence. The speed and power by which ESG considerations has embedded into investor preferences is nothing short of stunning, and at the risk of overstating the obvious, it has caught just about every stakeholder in the energy business, from producers to policymakers to investors, off guard. What was widely expected by the industry to be a gradual transition over decades is now moving much faster. It's a case of simply following the money. Capital is pouring into renewables, along with government subsidies, all at the expense of the fossil fuel industry. How you view all of this depends on where you sit. Reduced supply and reopening demand could push energy prices even higher, with $100 a barrel a distinct possibility over the near term. Investors in the energy sector love it, as it is expected to be one of the strongest performers in the S&P 500 in terms of earnings growth in 2022, with the consensus forecast coming in at a healthy 28%. For users of energy, which includes just about everybody else, it's a different story. The rise in energy prices, as we've mentioned in the previous segment, acts as a tax on consumers and businesses. The impact on lower-income households in particular can be especially burdensome. Recessions, which we just talked about, often have a shock of some sort as part of the catalyst that tips an economy over. A disorderly energy transition would not be a welcome addition to 2022's decelerating economy. Keep an eye on it. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, big bank earnings. All the attention was directed at expense growth, but what has happened to loan losses is a far more important story. Two, recession risk. As we enter a new Fed tightening cycle, that risk is going up. And three, the energy transition. Spiking oil prices are one sign that this is not likely to be a smooth one. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest reading reports and research. See you next week.